believe you're the savior of our soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. And then right as he's like, oh my goodness, what's going on? And then bam, he was hit. And to this day, he'll tell you, you visit him at 89 years of age. It was the most painful thing in his life. Very few of us can relate to the pain of having nails driven through our hands. And yet that's the pain Jesus took along with the criminals. But for the criminals, it was their just pain. Jesus taking that pain and feeling it physically as the son of God and the son of man, it was our pain. That nail, those nails were for us because the wages of sin is death. And that's what our sin is. And we talked about this last week, that with God, there's perfection and there's anything less than that. And only God is perfect. And only Jesus Christ lived the perfect sinless life. All we like sheep have gone astray. Our good works are as filthy rags before the Lord. There's none righteous, no, not one. And when God's Ten Commandments are laid open, it tells us in Romans 3.20, if you're looking at the Ten Commandments, and Jesus taught that the Ten Commandments are, are lived out or broken in the heart, he said, all, all mouths are silenced before the law of God. For by the deeds of the law, nobody can be justified in God's presence. We are all guilty. So that, that punishment Jesus has taken there, he's taken for us, and he's taken in fulfillment of the Scriptures. Because when they cast the lots for his garment, that's one of many verses that we know from the Old Testament, prophetically speaking, of what would happen when Jesus was on the cross. Most specifically, the prophecies in Psalm 22 that King David wrote a thousand years before Christ came into the world, describing in detail the view of the cross of Jesus being on the cross, as if he's in the first person of it, describing something that had not yet been invented yet, the perspective from the cross of crucifixion. It's amazing details. So Jesus going to the cross is for our sins, not his, and it's in fulfillment of scriptures, many scriptures, and of course his life is the fulfillment of hundreds of scriptures, and God said about the fulfillment of prophecy, he said, put me to the test. I tell you things before they happen, that's how you know I'm the Lord. Put me to the test. I'll tell you how Tyre is going to be destroyed in Lebanon before it's destroyed, what's going to happen to the city after it's destroyed. I'll tell you this and I'll tell you that. He declares himself God outside of the, the realm of time by revealing to us things in time before they happen in time because he's outside of time, including hundreds of details concerning Jesus. But the whole focal point of everything Jesus did isn't so much his teaching or the compassion or how he reveals the Father's heart to humanity, but the real apex of everything is that he's a sinless Lamb of God, which we were singing earlier, going to the cross for our sins, that he's the acceptable sacrifice in our place. So the focal point of all prophecies of Jesus are on his death on the cross in our place and his resurrection in fulfillment of the promises that he himself said he'd rise from the grave and the Old Testament declared that he as a holy one would not undergo corruption in the grave, literal corruption physically. So there on the cross, as the leaders are mocking him, the people are sneering at him, 
sneered at him. The soldiers are mocking him. They're mocking him as being king of the Jews. They're blaspheming him. Above his head is the charges of the crime. Now, we know when people are booked in the United States, so sometimes they'll hold something, and you might have information what they did. You know. And some people, when they get booked, they kind of like, they, they laugh. Some people are ashamed. You know, you just get different things that different people get. Well, his crime, king of the Jews. But you see, the religious leaders went to Pilate and said, don't say that. Say he said he was the king of the Jews. And Pilate says, it is what it is. Get out of here. You know, you've had about enough of those guys. It is what it is. Three languages. We talked about this last week. Imagine when you go to Kaiser on MacArthur and uh, Harbor there where we go, there's basically three languages, right? It's English, Spanish, and Vietnamese. And so we're, in our culture, we're very trained. A lot of dual languages, like a lot of the buses have Spanish and English, and, and you naturally pick up lang- another language if you live with two different languages. You should. I'm sure most of us are more adept at Spanish now than we were 10 years ago, I would think just by just being aware of a whole other language. If you live in Europe, most Europeans speak English, Italian, French, or German, or something like that. You know, that's just how it works. So in three languages, so there's no misunderstanding. He is king of the Jews, the one that was promised in the Old Testament. Jesus is the king of the Jews. Now he's the king of kings in his second coming, but he's king of the Jews in his first coming. He's the fulfillment of their being set aside as a nation, God said to Abraham 2,000 years before this, the head of the Jewish nation, in your seed, in your offspring, all nations will be blessed. And that seed, capital S, is Jesus Christ who came and died for the world. God so loved the world. We read in Revelation that in the throne room of God in eternity, there's people representing every tongue, tribe, and nation before his throne, praising his name and his glory. Faith in Jesus Christ is a universal faith for all dialects, for all ethnicities. Whatever mixture you can get in your ethnic ancestry and genealogy, it's there in heaven for the kingdom of God. God, God just loves humanity. Humanity divides, sin divides. God loves humanity. God unifies, God revives, God renews, God restores. And that's what this is about, the, the restoration for humanity through his son. And on the cross, the second thing we see of Jesus in the account of Luke's gospel is Father, verse 34, forgive them for they do not know what they do. When the Passion movie came out years ago and it was a lot of controversy over who put Jesus on the cross, Greg Laurie, being such a a leader for Southern California Ministries, came out with the Harvest Crusades and he made very clear that it was it was God the Father who put the Son on the cross. It was the Son who submitted to the will of the Father to go to the cross. And, and that is true. And it was the, the Jewish leaders that put Jesus on the cross. That is true. But really, it is us that put him on the cross. It really is fair to say that our sins are what put him on the cross. Now, we're not the ones mocking at the foot of the cross. But many of you, before you came to Christ, you might have mocked the Lord. You might have blasphemed the Lord. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you did. But either way, before we came to Christ, our old woman, our old man, is, and that sin that separates from God, that's what put him on the cross. There is another way. Jesus in the garden, just nine hours before this or so, he said, Father, if there is any other way, but there was no other way. 
For without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And the blood of an animal won't do because animals are inferior to humanity. The blood of me or you for one another, that won't do because our blood is sin for sin. It's sin for sin. But it is the blood of the Son of God that is superior and sinless and perfect that is a sufficient sacrifice. And that's why the book of Hebrews tells us that Christ died once for all. And when he died on the cross, he, he made obsolete the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament because he was offered once for all. And so he has the authority on the cross to look down on these people and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do because we really don't know what we do when we sin. We try to redefine sin. We give it new names and new looks. We try and blame God for sin or other people. Sin is deceitful. Sin is destructive and sin is death. And Christ died to take away the power of sin. We are told that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we, and when we put our faith in Jesus, that we're a new creation, and he has delivered us from the power of sin, the power of the devil, and the power of the grave. It's a full sweep. So he on the cross can say, Father, forgive him. See, now, it's good in the human experience to forgive people. And you read any books about how to be a good person, they'll tell you you need to forgive people. Because we just know in the human experience, if you're unforgiving toward other people, it'll destroy you. It it destroys you. But we also know that, like David said in Psalm 51, when he was confessing his sin about adultery with Bathsheba and the death of her husband Uriah, David said, against you only and you only have I sinned. I was born in iniquity and sin, and I have transgressed against you, creating me a new heart and and. That's what he prayed in Psalm 51. David, the man after God's own heart, understood, though his sins had an effect, like we talked in the first point, on Bathsheba, on the baby that died, and the taking of Uriah, his life, one of his 30 mighty men. David still recognized the sin was between him and the Father. Forgiveness really is vertical before it's horizontal. It's vertical. And Jesus says, forgive them. It's the heart of God to forgive us of our sins. That's in his heart. When we sin, he wants to forgive us. That's why when they ask Jesus how to pray, the apostles teach us to pray. And he said, this is how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us his daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. So, so when we're praying for daily bread, we're also praying for forgiveness of our sins. And in one of the prayers of the Lord's Prayer recorded for us in Luke and Matthew's gospel, we're told when the Lord's Prayer is over, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Then he says, for I tell you, if you do not forgive other people's sins, your sins will not be forgiven you. So on the Lord's Prayer, he gives the bonus text in Matthew's gospel. God alone has the authority to forgive sin. No religious leader can forgive your sins. No human being, no politician. Now, it's to the benefit of people that you've wronged to forgive you in that sense. And they might forgive you to be able to look at you at Target and not get upset with you when they see you and be filled with wrath and malice against you. But they do not have the authority to forgive your sins before the throne of God for all eternity. Only the Son of God has that authority. And we see him demonstrating it here. But it's one thing to say you forgive someone's sins when they say they're sorry, Right? Oh, I forgive you. You say, hey, I'm really sorry. Honey, I'm sorry. And like, yeah, I forgive you. But it's quite another when you're being crucified with capital punishment and you're being mocked and people aren't remorseful and they're not sorry. I mean, this is the heart of God. This is the son of God. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And when I think about this second point of Jesus saying, forgive them, I can tell you, unequivocally and with full authority of the scriptures, God wants to forgive you tonight and me of our sins. 
Many people are afraid to come to God because they feel they can't be forgiven of their sins. I often share the story when I received a letter from someone in prison who had killed someone, and they wrote me saying, do you really believe God can forgive my sins? And I was like, absolutely, I do. God can and wants to forgive your sins if you're willing to repent and turn from those sins. The only sin he can't forgive is the sin of unbelief, which is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, because if you reject the Holy Spirit bringing you to Christ, you can't be saved. So that's the sin of unbelief. But any other sin in the human experience, Christ died for it. Christ didn't die on the cross. Here, this scene saying, forgive them for all but one sin, your sin, tomorrow's failure, yesterday's defeat. No. He died once for all. In his sacrifice on the cross, him saying, forgive them, he, he died once for all. It's full authority. So the good news tonight is we can be forgiven of our sins. And the good news tonight is when the disciples asked him how to pray, he included asking for forgiveness on a daily basis. The good news is that John, in his first letter, he said, if, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it is in the heart of God to forgive us of our sins. That's why he sent his son to make a way. It's in the heart of God to uh, convict us of our sins, to restore him restores to himself properly so he can live a healthy, fruitful, abundant life in Christ and to not only forgive us of our sins, but to work in us, his heart, the ability to forgive others in that same sense of divine compassion on people who have wronged us. But the real application from the cross is, well, I can say there's application for you and I forgiving other people because Jesus says, you know, if you're you're forgiven, you need to forgive. But really, this is about Jesus dying on the cross and forgiving their sins as he forgives ours. We need never doubt how much love or the authority that Christ has to forgive us of our sins. He is there to forgive us. Which brings us to the third words of Jesus tonight. He wants to forgive you tonight. He doesn't want you leaving here in condemnation or broken fellowship with him or no fellowship with him. He wants to have you put your faith and trust in him and be forgiven of your sins. We want you to do that tonight. Verse 39, we pick up. Then one of the criminals who were hanging, blasphemed him, Jesus, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And that's as far as we'll go tonight. Today, you will be with me in paradise. There's just such good news on the cross. For such a dark day and defining day in human history, and we know the good news of the gospel for every generation till the end of this age as we know it. But I just think verse 43 is a nice exit ramp for tonight. Today, you will be with me in paradise. So let's talk about this criminal on the cross. Well, we're told no less than three times in this account they're criminals. They're being punished publicly. And the Romans, you know, they crucify people to humiliate them and strike fear in the people. We've talked about this in the past of the people they conquered. And uh, they're guilty. They were criminals like Barabbas. They're, they're, this is capital punishment. This isn't like debtor's prison or something like that. This is straight up execution, public execution to strike fear as a restraint against criminal activity by people doing crimes. They're called criminals. 
And of the two, we know from the other Gospels that the, both criminals at one point were mocking Jesus. So let's stop and think about that for a minute. Both criminals at one point were mocking Jesus. But something happened with this one criminal. And you can't explain it. You can't explain that men whose hearts were so hardened through crime, and here they are in excruciating pain, publicly humiliated, it's the last day of their life, and they're so hardened and just so defiant, if you will, who knows the fullness of their crimes. And it would seem certainly unrepentant in the initial stages of the crucifixion, But something happened to the one criminal. Grace came. Grace came to this criminal. We need to think about this. In the Old Testament, the prophet Joel said about the day of the Lord, whoever calls upon the Lord shall be saved. Let me say that again. Whoever calls upon the Lord shall be saved. Very important verse in the book of Joel. It is quoted by Peter on the day of Pentecost. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Like it says in Genesis with Abraham, Abraham believed God and it was counted for righteousness. You take God at his word and you're saved. It's about believing the promises, not earning the favor. It's about receiving salvation, not something we're going to earn. We're singing. The song set tonight was incredible. You'd think Scott and I got together and collaborated. What songs would be perfect for this text? We never do that, just so you know. But as he was going through that song set, I was like, wow, wow, and wow. He's singing about everything we're teaching right now. It was beautiful. This grace, the mercy, the salvation. But what I find very interesting about this, this man on the cross who called upon the Lord, and by the way, also the book of Romans, in explaining the gospel in Romans 10, it says, the, the grand climax, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, for whoever calls upon the Lord will be saved. It's the same verse. And this criminal on the cross is evidence without any shadow of doubt that we are saved by grace. It's not Jesus plus I have a good day tomorrow or Jesus plus I'm baptized tonight or Jesus plus I get to make this phone call and tell these people I'm sorry. It is calling upon the Lord and being saved up to the last breath of life. It is believing and receiving Christ. The Gospel of John tells us as many as received him, he gave them the right to become the children of God who are not born of the flesh and blood, but born of God. And it's con upon the name of the Lord. If anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you must be born again. That which is of the flesh is flesh. That which is of the spirit is spirit. So we understand that there's a flashpoint of faith where one believes and they're brought to life with the second birth through faith in Jesus Christ. They pass from death to life, from condemnation to justification, from darkness to light, from hell to heaven, from separation with God to fellowship with God. And this criminal found it in the last hours, if not the last moments of his life. What do we know about this criminal? We see the gospel. He's confessing his sins, isn't he? Did you catch that when we read the text? He said, we are justly condemned. He is not refuting his sentence. You know, in eternity, when the books are open in Revelation 20, the books of unbelief, I believe that everyone is going to be, understand that they're justly condemned to be separated from God for all eternity. When those books are opened. And the Bible tells us that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
And we should do it in time, but everyone does in eternity. I believe in eternity when those books in Revelation 20, when Jesus the great judge opens those books, when those books are open, people see all the times they rejected Christ. They see the accountability of their sinful life before Christ. And they agree that the, the, the consequence of being separated from God for all eternity is a just judgment. There's nothing unjust about God's judgments. They are perfectly just. Perfect righteousness. There is no injustice in eternity, ever, ever. God is light, and him is no darkness at all, and that would include moral or political corruption. Perfect just justice is what we get with Jesus Christ. And this criminal says we are rightly condemned. We are rightly condemned. See, we're, we're condemned justly, verse 41, and we receive the due reward of our deeds. This man is dying, and he says, this is what we deserve. He's confessing his sins. Is it possible he heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. Is it possible on the cross, as he hung there and saw this, and considered the matter, that he, if this really is the king of the Jews, that's his crime, his crimes were over his head, and he's forgiven these people who are saying this to him right now and did this to him. And surely he is innocent. Pilate said he was innocent. We heard him say it. Something happened where the faith was birthed in his heart. And he called him Lord in verse 42. Jesus is the king of the Jews. He's the king of kings. And he's Lord. His ultimate title is Lord of all, the entire universe. And this criminal calls Jesus Lord. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's the king of the Jews. He calls him Lord, and he asks him to remember him. He'll take any seat at the, at the, 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 the wedding feast. He'll take any seat. Remember me. And Jesus said to him that great promise. Assuredly, I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. Now, Jesus spoke forgiveness from the cross, but here Jesus promises salvation from the cross. Full, 100% grace. There's not one thing this guy on the cross did that's an act, a moral act, that can even reflect a repentant heart other than what he spoke, which is very reflective of that. But there's no action. He can't be a do-gooder. He can't, make, he can't work in a soup kitchen for the poor to show that he's penitent for what he's done. He can't crawl on his knees, and he can't say a prayer a hundred times. Or, like, he, he, just, he can't go back and tell the victims of his crimes, I'm sorry. There's no moral act he can do to earn God's favor to be saved and going to heaven. But Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of grace. By grace we have been saved, that through faith. And that is great news tonight. That is good news. And this criminal on the cross is the testimony of that for all of us. We need never doubt the salvation that we have once we put our faith in Jesus Christ. The sad thing for the criminal is he never got to go live the life and know the abundant life that Christ promised in the human experience. The good news for us is we're alive today and we can. We can know the joy of a life in Christ. I posted an Instagram photo for the first time in a while yesterday and it was all the family because Hannah's out here visiting from Florida. And I just put, I did a selfie with all, everyone in the picture and I just put blessed. You know, you get wiser, just less to say. Yeah, it's just like, hey, if you get it, you get it. Blessed, one way. Hippies rule. Calvary Chapel movement, blessed. Yeah? And I got like 20 comments. You are blessed. You're so right. You get it. I'm sure some people are like, what's it mean? You know, like, this is blessed. He didn't get to have that 
See, when I got saved 31 years ago, I've been blessed. I celebrate my 31st wedding anniversary next week. I've been blessed. I've known and lived, and many of you have known and lived the blessings of a life committed to Christ. I want to see people saved in the last minute because we want those people in heaven. God's not willing that any should perish. And the salvation is through the confession of faith and calling upon the Lord. And that promise of paradise is, is the sealing of the fruit. It's the promise that solidifies the assurance that God has is the author and the finisher of our faith. We need to live like the children of paradise. We need to live like people going to paradise. Like we're going to go on the ultimate vacation. You get excited before your vacation. You're going to paradise. Well, eyes not seen or ear heard the paradise that God has prepared for us in eternity. It's not describable. This word is used three times. When Paul was caught up in heaven, he said, I was caught up into paradise, and I can't give one word to describe it. It's described for us in Revelation to the church of Ephesus. To him overcomes, they'll be in paradise, and it's given to us here, promised to the criminal on the cross. The hope of heaven. The promise of salvation is the hope of heaven. Those Romans came by later, and they broke this guy's legs to kill him. I mean, it's so violent and so brutal, but that guy breathed his last with the hope of heaven looking at Jesus, either to his left or to his right. And doesn't that give you joy tonight? Yes, sir. Amen. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. We serve a great Savior whose salvation is complete. All the promises of God in Jesus Christ are yes and amen. Hallelujah. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Baran. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.